to thank you again for joining us as we continue our series on, on Bible truth and prophecy. And actually we're going to take a break from our present series for an update in current events in Bible prophecy in the news. As you know, really that's kind of the heartbeat of this particular uh, live stream program is to look at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. And I know many of you are an advocate of Bible prophecy and it's so much fun to, to live in this day and time. Matter of fact, in the last two to three months, some incredible things have been taking place and I want to kind of do a, a then and now. And the then and now is just two or three months ago compared to right now. And one of the things that I really find fascinating is that in Ezekiel chapter 37, 38 and 39, it talks about conditions that will be around the borders of Israel in the last days. It talks about nations that will come and surround them. And so remember, when we were back in the month of July, we were talking about how the Turkish presidents, uh, Erdogan, he said that they were on a path to unstoppable power in the region. And what made headlines at that particular time and how we reported it on this program, we talked about the fact that, that he admittedly said that he was joining with Russia and with Iran, and they were not only going to surround Israel and look for that opportunity to invade Israel with Russia and Iran and other nations, as mentioned in Ezekiel 38, but it's interesting that they also had their eye on North Africa. And so with that in mind, we, we talked about how, look, the Bible is being fulfilled. May I show you what's taken place in the last two or three months? Here's an article, and this article is the first week in October. And again, President of Turkey says this, Jerusalem belongs to Turkey, and we will take it. Now let me just pause for a moment, because you see, the Bible talks about how important Jerusalem is. We've talked about it on a number of occasions. But isn't it something that this man, who definitely has his eye on world leadership, he definitely is siding against Israel in every situation, and he's one of the nations mentioned in the Bible that would invade Israel in the last days, and it even says the nations he would join with, and that's exactly what's taking place. Think about the fact that Jerusalem is such a prize. I mean, why would the president of Turkey have any authority over Jerusalem? Matter of fact, it's interesting that the United States and Trump were criticized because we just recognized that Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. We didn't own it. We didn't make it. We just honored the request of the Jewish people. And we were criticized worldwide. And now here's a person who says, well, it actually belongs to Turkey. Why would Turkey have any say-so over Jerusalem? Jerusalem's always been a prize. The Bible talks about how that, that there would be enemies of God, enemies of Israel, that would have their design on Jerusalem. And so remember, again, if we go back about five or six months, March, the end of March, 1st of April, 2019, we found this headline, Pope Francis meets with the Muslim king of Morocco, declares that Jerusalem should never belong solely to the Jews. And so here he is, the Pope, joining forces with a Muslim uh, friend of his, and they talk about how that Jerusalem should belong to Israel, uh, not to Israel, but, but to the world. It, it shouldn't belong solely to Israel. Isn't it amazing that everybody has their eye on Jerusalem? I can find places where Russia says that we should be the mediator. I can find where, where the Palestinians say it should be ours. Here's the Pope saying it should be theirs. Here's Turkey. All, all these people saying it should be ours. Even some of the, the aspects of, of the Egyptian people and, and their leaders, they say it really it, kind of, it should belong to us. Well, here's what the Bible says. Let, let me. We've talked about this on other occasions, but Jerusalem is the prize. And that's what many of the nations have their eyes on as they invade Israel. 
They want Jerusalem. Why? They want the Temple Mount. They know that that's a, a critical piece of ground. Someone says it's the most volatile 35 acres on planet Earth. I believe that's true. But when you come to the Bible, the Bible is very clear. In over 30 passages, God specifies that Jerusalem belongs to Him. Listen to this one in Psalm 135, 21. And by the way, why am I reading these verses? I, I want you to see that this is what the Bible says. It's not something that we have as an idea. It's not something that even the Jews are putting forward. But the Bible, the living Bible of the holy God of the universe says this, Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, who dwelleth at Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. Notice that he, he dwells at Jerusalem. Or if we go to, to a reference in, in 2 Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And that place was Jerusalem. Or I'm only going to give you one other reference that we want to read. But, but like I say, there's over 20, close to 30. Ezra chapter 7. And in Ezra chapter 7, verse 15, to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors had freely offered unto the God of Israel, whose habitation is in Jerusalem. And so the Bible is very clear that Jerusalem belongs to God. It belongs to the, to the Jewish people until God claims it for his own. And yet it's interesting to see how people continue, even during this time of pandemic, while we're concerned with situations in our country, schools opening, economic situations, jobs, cures for, for the pandemic, the world marches on trying to get Jerusalem as the trophy. Now, Zechariah chapter 12, Zechariah chapter 14 say that Jerusalem, all the nations will surround Jerusalem. It will be a, a stone, a burdensome stone. The nations as they surround it, they, they will try to take it. It will be a cup of trembling. It will be shaking and war going on. We're watching the setup for that. I continue on the fact that the Pope says, well, actually it doesn't belong solely to the Jews because just recently, again, if we come to, to the 1st of October, we find another very incredible story. The Pope recently said this, that capitalism has failed in the pandemic, endorses culture of encounter. Now what an article. First of all, doesn't seem reasonable that the Pope being a religious figure would, would stick to things that are of religious concerns, doctrinal matters and so on like that. But instead, he finds himself in the middle of a situation where he says that, that capitalism has failed. I, my question is, how has it failed? And he says that capitalism has failed. Among the things he says, he's against the right for individuals to own property. That's incredible. My friend, do you understand that in the Bible, there are examples, and they're not criticized by God, of people, individuals, owning property. That for him to make that a, a, a principle, a doctrine right now, is absolutely unbelievable. It goes a step further. It, it talks about how that, that capitalism has failed to solve the, the pandemic. So why aren't socialist countries, or communist countries, or Marxist countries, why aren't they solving the pandemic? To blame it on one particular government for not solving the pandemic when there's so many other kinds of government? I think we could even go a step further than that. And the reason I say that is because, you see, it's interesting that here is a man. He's probably the most pampered ruler in the world. I'm going to call him a political figure because he's more than just a religious figure. He has servants that wait on him. He has slaves that do every bidding for him. 
I'm sure that he doesn't drive his own car. I don't think he does anything with his laundry. I doubt he fixes a single meal for himself. I, I really think that he probably has as many servants and slaves as any single king or president in the entire world. Not only that, he has billions of dollars of assets. And this man says it's wrong for individuals to own property. It's wrong for individuals to, to have a, a place in society. It, it's just unbelievable that someone so wealthy, so rich, so pampered would have the nerve to criticize capitalism. Well, let's go again to the aspect of the Pope. Because remember, a few months ago, April 21st, we saw that Pope Francis gave Emmanuel Macron his blessing and anointed him to become the, the, on the global stage to become the leader of the new world order. Now that's quite a promotion. It's interesting because this King of France, blessed by the Pope, was actually engaged to take on the leadership of the New World Order. The Bible indicates that there will be a day and a time when, when really the New World Order will become the, the political power and the political form of government just before the Antichrist takes over. And so again, that was several months ago. But isn't it interesting that just recently we had another story, and again, Emmanuel Macron was the headline of it. Because September the 1st, President Macron planted a cedar tree in Lebanon. Now here's what's so incredible. This man, who really has taken the invitation of the Pope and has taken it to mind and to heart and to head, he really believes that he is the world leader. He really believes that he is the, the I'm going to say, the, the, the president, at least the central point man in the New World Order. And so he goes to Lebanon and he plants a cedar tree. How many people have been talking to me about in Ezekiel chapter 31? It's a story of a cedar tree. And the cedar tree in Lebanon is actually planted there in pride. Maybe it refers to Pharaoh, but other people say that the story in Ezekiel 31 actually points to a future antichrist. And here he is planting this man who has the designs on, on being the leader of the New World Order. He's actually planting a cedar tree in Lebanon, exactly like the story in Ezekiel chapter 31 says. Well, if you say, no, that really is the Pharaoh of, of Egypt, that's okay, but you can't deny this story because, again, this one is taking place now. At the end of September 2020, before the United Nations, here's Emmanuel Macron, the General Assembly. He tells the body that we must prepare for the New World Order for globalization. And he pushes forward that agenda of the New World Order, of bringing all the world together under one single leadership. And guess who's volunteering to be the leader? Now you can imagine if he's put into power by the Antichrist, that sooner or later the Antichrist will be rewarded for that, and there will be some provision that he will have for himself. I cannot but wonder if we're not looking at some type of, of at least model for what will take place as an Antichrist comes on the scene to lead the New World Order. And there will be a false prophet that will come along. I'm not saying that either one of these men are there. Because you know something? To be honest with you, I think Satan will choose someone far more clever than President Macron. I really do believe that, that the devil will have somebody in the back wings because the Bible said he's a little toe now. After the church is gone, he'll rise to power. So I don't think that's going to be Macron. But you see how the world is pushing this forward. You see how the Satan always has a man in the wings ready and waiting to go. And then I want to look at another story, because we're finding this as a, as a classic example of what is taking place all over the world. Here's Como, and he threatens to close New York's churches. 
Now, we watched this take place in California. We watched them threaten it in a, a number of other states. But again, this one just happens to make the news this particular week. And, and while he's saying that we need to close the churches because the churches are the whole source or the main spread of the pandemic. My friend, the church is not the main case and the main cause of, spinning, of spreading the, the pandemic. I, I look at marches going on. I look at all kinds of activities going on, whether it's sporting events or, or restaurants. Believe me, I, I think we've almost overreacted to the whole thing. I'm all for social distancing. I'm all for wearing a mask. But there, there are some things that are really essential. And you want to know something? The church is one. May I just read to you? Because, you see, this is not without its parallel in the Bible. In the Bible, it's interesting that in the book of Acts, again, the early Christians were, were blamed for a lot of things that they didn't do. And Acts chapter 4 is, is quite an interesting chapter. Because when they go and they begin to answer for what is taking place, they were preaching the resurrection. They were preaching Jesus was the only name in which to be saved by and through. And then they begin to be blamed for all kinds of things that were taking place. Matter of fact, they came to them in chapter 4 and said, you got to stop. You cannot speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Sound familiar? Almost like what we're watching today in, in some of these states where they're saying no church. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge you. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. Wow. Can you imagine the church? I mean, of all the things to blame today for what is taking place economically with the coronavirus, everything that's taking place, can you imagine that now the church is getting blamed? I'm not surprised. Matter of fact, go to Acts chapter 5. And again, you'll find that they continue the blame. And finally, it says this, Did we not strictly command you, this is chapter 5, verse 28, Did we not strictly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. I think that should be our answer. Yeah, I'm all for safe distancing. I'm all for wearing a mask. There may be times when the outbreak is so acute in a particular place that we need to have virtual service. I'm, I'm not against that. But to make a mandate and to blame the church is really ridiculous, and it's not the first time it's happened in the history of the church. Well, at least one more story, and, and this story is about the U.S. Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. And what I find interesting is that here is a, a woman. Now, they've, they want a woman to replace the woman. I understand that. But the only thing they can find as they read through her, her writings, as they read through her decisions, the only thing they can find against her is her faith. And the fact that she's a mother of seven children, two of which are adopted. You know, if she were uh, homosexual, if she were loose morally, all those things would have, would have gone fine. But it was a woman of faith and a mother who has tried to train her children and have her family in order. And can you imagine that they would find fault? You see, we're at a time and a stage when evil is called good and good is called evil. And we're exactly there. One more story. Look at this one. The, the Bible says that what we'll find in the last days is that there will be lawlessness. And again, I, I look at what is taking place. Second Timothy chapter 3. We're, we're at exactly that point. Here's 36 gangs. They vow to shoot on sight any cop that has a weapon drawn on any subject in public. How ridiculous. 
Think about this. The Bible says there will be lawlessness. And when that lawlessness comes, and when it becomes the predominant view of society, listen, that's a time when Jesus is going to call the church home to heaven. I really look around, and I watch things. Think of these five or six stories we've looked at. We've looked at the situation in the Middle East. It's exactly as the Bible said. We've looked at the story of society. It's exactly what the Bible said. We've looked at the church. It's lukewarm. It, 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 has no, it has no discernment for the truth. We look at the leaders that, that want to be a new world order that, that are grabbing the, the power that God said would be in the last days. All these things. You know what it points to me? It points to me that we're ready for Jesus to come. My friend, are, are you ready? You see, these headlines all say this, that we're on the brink of Jesus Christ coming to take the church back. And after that, you know what takes place? Now the tribulation begins. Oh, I, I want you to miss the tribulation. The tribulation is such a horrible time, a terrible time. I pray that you'll be ready for Jesus to come today. That you'll make good a commitment to Christ for your salvation. I've been thinking this week of something called reconciliation. It's a marvelous verse in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Read the whole verse, but it says this, For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who? who knew no sin. He hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. You see, he became our substitute. This idea to reconcile. You see, God's standard is holy and high. And God can't lower his standard. We've sinned. We don't deserve to go to heaven. I've sinned. I don't deserve to go to heaven. God can't lower that standard because if he did, he would ruin heaven. If sin entered heaven, it would be destroyed. It would become just like what we have here. So since God can't lower the standard, you know what? God sent Jesus to raise us up to the standard. That's the idea of reconciliation. Let's say you got your, you looked at your checkbook and said that you had $12 in your checking account. And then a statement comes from the bank, and the bank says, no, you have $12,000. What do you do? Well, you say, you know what? I think I'll just reconcile my checkbook to agree with the bank. And so you take your pen and you write in your checkbook, 12000 Why? Because you see, you adjust to meet the standard. God is a standard. And God says, you know what? I can't take you to heaven because you, you've sinned. The wages of sin is death. But I'm going to send Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, he's the one who had no sin of his own. And so when he died on the cross, he died for my sins. He died for your sins. And by dying on the cross for our sins, he raised us up to meet the standard of God. What a, what a salvation is that? You see, only Jesus could make it possible. You know what I'm going to say. First of all, have you ever admitted to God that you're a sinner? That you're short of God's standard? That you need to be reconciled to the holy standard of God? Number two, have you ever acknowledged that Jesus is God? That it came from heaven to earth in the form of a man to die on the cross to shed his blood so they could come alive again and prove that he was the Savior, the Messiah of the world? And number three, have you ever personally accepted, said, Jesus, I take you. Thank you for adjusting me to the standard of God. Thank you for taking my sin. Thank you for giving me your righteousness. Would you do that today? Would you accept Christ? If you would like to ask a question of Dr. Linstead and or Bible Truth and Prophecy, please email us at the Bible Truth and Prophecy, or BTIP as we call it, email address. That's BibleTipNow at gmail.com. B-I-B-L-E-T
T-I-P-N-O-W at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.